Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Hello, hello, hello. It is absolutely lovely to see your faces. For those of you who don't know me here or if you're online uh, watching YouTube, Facebook, I am Dana Masters. I'm married to the very handsome Andrew Masters, who was just up before me there. Um, and I appreciate, darling, you calling me the hottest Bible teacher in Northern Ireland. I'm not sure if that's true, but I, I like that you think so anyway. Um, but it is wonderful, wonderful to see you all here. I, I've not been in this building on a Sunday morning for a very long time. So it's, it's absolutely beautiful to be back and to worship again with my husband and with our church family. Um, I haven't spoken in church in quite some time. And, and there's no crazy reason for that or anything. But like so many of you, I, you know, found a new vocation in becoming a homeschooling mother. Um, and I, it was rough going there for a while, and then I found a trick. I, I realized that um, in my homeschool, I'm the headmaster, which means I get to make all the decisions. And the moment I realized that, it was great. I'm not sure how much the teachers appreciated that when my children went back to school, but uh, it made my life a lot easier. But for those of you who don't know me well, I am a musician by trade, so I've spent a fair amount of time also learning how to do that in new and creative ways. Um, so some of you I haven't seen for a long time, haven't caught up with in a very long time. Um, I've been having an interesting time uh, with Jesus recently. Um, just a lovely, lovely time with him as he's been teaching me, correcting me, remaking things in me, reforming things in me. And it's really interesting that Andy and Stu asked me to come and speak on this particular scripture today because this is one of the scriptures that the Holy Spirit has been using in my life over this past 18 months to really um, sort of re reshape some of my thinking. And so I'm really excited to share some of the stuff with you this morning. Uh, before we get started, I would really love for us to read Psalm 23 together, if you don't mind. Is that all right? Listen, uh, I kind of like old school ways of doing stuff. So if you're able, stand with me while we read the word of God together. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You may be seated. One of my favorite memories from the time when Andrew and I were just dating 
is his first Christmas with my wider family. We arrived at my grandparents' house in South Carolina in the United States, which was filled with cousins and aunties and uncles. Two of those like church folding tables, you know, the long ones, they're like the eight foot ones. Two of those lined up, filled up most of the living room and every surface in the kitchen was covered with food. Now, this may come as a surprise to you, but my family is loud, okay? There are at least 10 conversations happening at the same time at any given moment. So after we ate all of that food, those church tables got folded and cleared away. And Andrew thought, well, it's time to go. Started packing his stuff up. And little did he know that the party was just getting started, okay? Suddenly, I want you to picture this. Suddenly, Michael Jackson's thriller started blasting over the sound system. And my mother, who had snuck off at some stage for a costume change, busted through a door into the living room we all were in a full Michael Jackson costume to reenact the entire dance. Andrew was shocked. And he was looking at me, you know when, you, when something that shocking happens, you look around for other people to confirm that it is just as shocking as you feel it is, which he got none of that confirmation because for us that was just a regular, I don't know, Friday night with our family. After my mom's performance, the living room turned into a dance party and my Aunt Betty attempted to teach Andrew the electric slide. And after a few minutes of really applying himself wholeheartedly to learning this dance, Andrew felt he had reached an acceptable level of competence with it, only to be ushered aside by Aunt Betty and patted on the shoulder and told, it's okay, baby, don't worry about it. We laugh about that often. And I've been, I've been thinking about my family a lot lately. I've been thinking about my granny a lot lately. And not just my granny, but a lot of the women in my family. Women whose life experiences were born out of suffering and trauma and oppression. Some of my very first memories center around these women. You see, I grew up in the deep south in the U.S. in a black family led by women. Warrior women who fought and loved in equal measure. You do not mess with the women in my family, okay? These women who had inherited from their mothers, 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 the infected and inflamed wounds of slavery and racism. Women who had very little time to tend to those wounds because they were still fighting a war for equality and the human right to be treated as human. I, I talk about this often and I will not apologize for it because it still baffles my mind that my mother at the age of eight became a freedom fighter in an adult war by desegregating her local school and registering people in black communities to vote. Eight years old. I look at my babies, nine and seven, and I weep for those children who were hated, spat on, 
physically and psychologically assaulted Monday through Friday because something in their little souls knew it was wrong, knew wrong when they saw it. These children who grew up feeling unsafe and under threat for a lot of their lives. And yet, and yet, as a child, it was from these women that I learned what joy and celebration was. From these women, while simultaneously learning of the horrific stories they were born into, I was given a master class in gladness. You see, the world knew and saw their protest in the streets, marching to challenge man-made segregation laws and, and their sit-ins at white-only restaurants and white-only water fountains. But I, I got to see their protest around my granny's table. The audacity they had to feast and laugh and love in the face of all that would seek to destroy them. When I think of these people, the first thought that comes to my mind is my granny's table, set and filled to overflowing with my favorite food, my favorite people, all telling stories and laughing. You see, these women were teaching me how to live in Psalm 23, verse 5. But I didn't truly begin to understand it until recently. So I want to look at the, the two lines of the first half of verse 5 more closely this morning, if you don't mind. That's what I'm going to be preaching on this morning. You prepare a table for, before me in the presence of my enemies. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip and go to the second line first, if you don't mind. In the presence of my enemies. Now, we don't talk about it too much in church. But did you know that actually naming your enemies is a powerful act? Just naming them can lessen their power over you. We're living in a world where it is the cultural norm to fall out with people on a daily basis. Anyone else seeing that? Yeah. And, and sometimes just based on a Facebook post or an Instagram post or God forbid they have a different opinion than us. But that's, that's not what I'm talking about. What are our actual enemies? The word enemy is defined as a thing that harms or weakens something else. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, Paul describes our enemies as not being flesh and blood... That's good news, isn't it? Not being flesh and blood, not people, but the rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Authorities, powers, and principalities of darkness. 
That all sounds really big, doesn't it? Well, let's think about it. What are these faceless powers that would seek to destroy our relationship to God? Our relationship to one another? Our relationship to God's creation? Some of them we can, we can name instantly. They're kind of easy. Like, we, we all know them, right? Like, fear. Jealousy. Greed. Pride, anger. And some of us, we can know that there are times in our lives where those things feel so big, like they're going to overwhelm us. But other, other ones may take us a wee bit longer to identify. Those root ideas that have not yet been submitted to Christ that drive our decision-making. What in your life is trying to raise itself above the throne of Christ? What ideas do you serve and build your life around? One day, um, being a musician, I love listening to music, all different types of music. And one day I was listening to a hymn based on Psalm 23, written by a woman named Audrey Assad. And it stopped me in my tracks as I realized I was hearing the name of some of my enemies for the first time. She writes in this song, from the love of my own comfort, from the fear of having nothing, Deliver me, O oh God. From a need to be accepted. From the fear of being lonely. Deliver me, O oh God. From the fear of serving others. From the fear of death or trial. From the fear of humiliation. Deliver me, O oh God. And she ends her prayer, and I shall not want, I shall not want, when I taste your goodness, I shall not want. How beautiful. I don't know what your fears are this morning. I can't name your enemies for you, but we all have them. And the first step to living in the fullness of verse 5 of Psalm 23 is to invite the Holy Spirit to show you. What are these ideas that we're serving more than we're serving Christ? In the presence of my enemies. In the presence of means God's overwhelming generosity in the midst of the battle. I don't know about you, but my default is to defer joy. I defer joy all the time. 
I'm deferring joy and peace and all that good stuff and celebration until my life is just the way I think it should be. But the psalmist here is suggesting another way. The psalmist here is suggesting something that just sounds really absurd to me. Life in the kingdom is joy and peace and feasting in the presence of whatever is threatening you. That even before they are defeated, and, and some of them won't be defeated this side of eternity, but even before they are defeated, your enemies are reduced to bystanders, onlookers, background noise in the presence of your loving father at his abundant table. Can I be honest with you? When the Holy Spirit started to speak to me about this, this, this did not, this was not good news to me. I didn't hear this and go, that's so wonderful. I love that. Hallelujah. That was not my reaction. I, I would be lying if I said that I did not have to grieve. Some of you hearing this this morning, before you can really grasp the joy of what God is offering you, you're going to grieve. I had to lay down my expectations and my demands of how my life should go and what I am owed and what is my right And I had to grieve letting those things go. Last week, Lauren did something so brilliant. I just enjoyed it so much when she did it. And I want to do it again this week. She, she paused a few moments during her talk to give us a few seconds just to sit with what Jesus is saying and sit with his scripture and invite him to speak to us. So I want us to just take a, a tiny moment to be quiet and ask the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom to recognize our enemies and the grace to see the beauty in what he's offering us in this, in this verse. Let's be quiet before the Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Now, let's jump back then and look at the first line of verse 5. 
this is my favorite part of Amanus. You prepare a table before me. Not you will prepare. Not you prepared. But the present tense, in this moment, very immediately, you prepare a table before me. In Job, after Job's three friends sort of wrongly weigh in on his suffering, right? So Job has, is a man in the Bible who has just gone through an incredible amount of suffering. And he has these three friends who come to him and they make these long speeches while he is grieving and crying out to God and saying, what are you doing, God? And they make these, these long speeches and they sound really educated and it's all the wrong stuff anyway. But we forget that there's a fourth man in the book of Job that makes a very long speech. And he's, his name is Elihu. Sometimes we get him confused with the other three. But scholars like to say that Elihu was the mouthpiece of God in that moment. And he makes a speech also, and it is full of wisdom. And in Job chapter 36, verse 16, Elihu says this to Job. He is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place free from restriction, to the comfort of your table laden with choice food. I love food, you guys. I love food. Does anybody else love food in here? Yes. Normally at this time on Sunday, I would have my iPad up in my kitchen on my, on my island watching this happening, and I would be um, preparing my roast chicken and my vegetables, and I just love food. So making food while going to church was beautiful to me. I just felt the Holy Spirit all over me the whole time. <laughs> so these scriptures about tables and choice food, and this is really speaking to me. And, and I don't know what you would say, but if someone asks me, do you want to feast at the Lord's table? I'm like, yes. Yes, no question. It's not a hard question, is it? That, there's no downside to that. I'm good with that. Where's my chair? Pull it up. Let's do this. And yet, if I'm honest with you, I, I have so much trouble doing it. And I think I'm going to say something. I hope my husband doesn't get upset with me, but I don't think you're supposed to say it in church. But um, these scriptures, Psalm 23, the scripture in Job 36, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's so poetic. I love it. But it doesn't make any sense. Does it? Well, not to us anyway. This sort of thinking is very strange to us, but not to God. In fact, do you remember in the book of Philippians, Paul's writing a letter to the church, and he tells them about the peace of God. And he says this very strange thing. He calls it the peace that surpasses all understanding. And we sort of forget 
that little bit, don't we? It's not just peace. It's the peace that surpasses all understanding. Basically, in layman's terms, in our way of speaking, it's peace that does not make any sense. Right? Why wouldn't it make any sense? Why, what's, why wouldn't it make any sense? Because peace in a time of peace, that makes sense. Peace in the good times. Sun is shining. Barn is full. You built your savings back up. That, that makes sense to me. Peace. Peace in the good times. But peace in a time of war or peace when you are under siege, that makes no sense. Does it? That's the peace that Paul was telling the Philippians that God offers. We see it again in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus tells us to do something that doesn't make any sense. He says we're supposed to love our enemies, right? And he's talking about people here. Loving people who are on your team, who do you good, who don't gossip about you behind your back, who don't judge you, who don't steal your money, who don't treat you unfairly, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's what the people here were used to doing. But Jesus says, no, you got to take it further. You got to love the people who hate you, who go after you, who want to destroy you. And I'm looking at Jesus and I'm like, Jesus, that don't make no sense. This love that surpasses all understanding. Love that doesn't make any sense. And then here in Psalm 23, verse 5, we see it again. The psalmist telling us how he is at a table. And I don't know if, if and back in that day, when you were at a table, a good party, a dinner party, you see in the Bible, they talk about lounging at a table. It wasn't just like sitting in a chair the way we do and get your napkin on your lap. It was actually a really vulnerable position. You were lounging. You were relaxed. You were not on guard. And this psalmist is literally talking about being in a vulnerable position, not just eating, but feasting. The word feasting associated with celebration, joy, abundance. Feasting. Being surrounded by constant threat of siege. That doesn't make any sense. Because the world we were born into operates on an entirely different system, doesn't it? Peace in the time of peace. Love the people who love you. Feast when your enemies have been destroyed. But if we want to feast at the table of the Lord now, in the presence of our enemies, we have to step into a new system. A 
the system of the kingdom of God, not the system of the kingdom of this earth. Invitation is there, come to the table of the Lord. The poet and worship leader, Jason Upton, um, writes this in one of his songs, every table is an altar, he says. And that got me thinking, because one thing I know about this guy is he loves the scripture, and I thought that every table is an altar. What does that mean? So I started to look into this. And in the Old Testament, Israel, out of obedience to God, built an altar on which the priest made sacrifices to atone for the sins of the nation. And each family and tribe brought sacrifices to be offered up to God on the altar of the Lord, which was also sometimes called the table of the Lord. Because in addition to having a place for the sacrifices, it also had this place reserved for the food that the priests could eat. And in the New Testament, Jesus gave his own body for the atonement of sin, laid himself on the altar of the Lord, on the table of the Lord, becoming simultaneously the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate feast. This past year, I came to the realization that I was not regularly feasting at the Lord's table. When my Sunday services were taken away, my Monday through Saturday was sadly lacking in consistent and vibrant communion with Jesus. I realized that my sense of well-being was dictated to me by my circumstances and not by God. And during the last 18 months, I found myself so aware of how easily I'm swayed by circumstance and how when my life was at its most uncertain and when I lost control of where I can go and who I can see and my ability to make money, how thin my faith was revealed to be. And I began to think about growing up in the company of those women who had such great faith and resilience. And I even started to think about our brothers and sisters the world over who are persecuted for their faith, and in so many cases losing their lives, and yet the strength and resilience of their faith and their joy. And in contrast, I found that I was worshiping and eating at the table of some of our most favorite idols in the West, self-reliance, Control or the illusion of control, public image, those things I'd come to love so much and serve so faithfully. But they were slowly poisoning, weakening, and harmoning my relationship to God, to other people, to God's creation. And after a long journey with Jesus, I finally surrendered completely to the Father and looked those enemies in the eye and I named them. And I confessed that I had set them above Christ in my life. And then the following Sunday, inspired by verse 5 of, of Psalm 23, I set my dinner table. I got out my best tablecloth, the fancy cutlery, 
the linen napkins, oh my gosh. The wine glasses reserved for special guests. I lit my candles. I chose a special music playlist. I spent two days preparing and cooking my famous roast chicken. It's only famous in my house, but it's, it's really famous there. And at 2 p.m. on that Sunday, I sat down with Andrew and our three children, and I feasted. I feasted on good food and wine. I feasted on my children's silly stories. I feasted on their laughter. I dared to laugh myself and claim space to experience the goodness of the Lord in the middle of my mess. I laid my table, I found my altar, and I acted out in the physical what the Father was offering me in the spiritual. At one point during that meal, I looked up and I realized my enemies were still there, but their presence didn't rattle me or cause the same kind of anxiety because I was sat at the table of the king. Some of us have not eaten at that table for a very long time. And the invitation today is the same as it was yesterday and the day before and the same as it will be tomorrow. Come to the table of the Lord. I want the worship team to come on up. We're going to take a couple of minutes just to respond if you feel like the Lord is speaking to you this morning. And if you do feel like the Lord is speaking to you this morning, it's a really important moment here. You don't have to do anything right. You don't have to get the recipe just right. I love that it's Pentecost Sunday. Thinking back to that moment where the Holy Spirit fell in that room. We can have that today in the upper rooms of our lives. You've been waiting for so long for a Savior. Let this be the day that you allow the Holy Spirit to come. Why don't you stand with me if you can? This is going to be between you and Jesus. But if you're here this morning and you're saying, I need to feast at the table of the Lord. I want to be a regular at the Lord's table. And I'm ready to stop waiting for everything to be perfect. 
table that he prepares before me in the presence of my enemies, that's where I want to be. I want you to put your hand over your heart if that's you this morning. I know that it's me. Nobody in this room has arrived. Nobody has gotten it perfect. We're all on the road, on the journey. And as we worship together this morning, I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to come and teach you and show you how to feast at his table.